Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his teaching on the rapture and your new body. Well, we're going to talk about the rapture and your new body. First of all, we're going to take a break from the book of Ephesians. We haven't neglected the book of Ephesians. We are going to continue the series on Ephesians, but it's probably going to be a couple of weeks, depending on how long this series goes. Amen. And it depends on how well you receive the information I put out. Amen. I want to spend some time talking about the rapture in your new body, and I'm going to take my time and stretch it into a two-part series, maybe more. And my reasons for doing this are twofold. Number one, I believe the average Christian in the body of Christ is woefully ignorant of such things. And number two, these topics figure so prominently in the teachings of the New Testament, especially the teachings of the Apostle Paul, I feel it's important that we get a good handle and a good understanding on these concepts. Amen? So I'm going to organize this teaching in the following way. First, we'll take a look at the rapture, the catching away of the church. Then we'll talk about our new bodies. And then we'll talk about your place or our place in the millennium. So once again, we'll break this into three parts. We're going to talk about the rapture. We're going to talk about your new body. And we're going to talk about your place in the millennial reign of Christ. Amen. Glory to God. Hopefully when we're done, we'll have a better understanding of what's in store for us and and how totally cool it's all going to be. And it's going to be way cool. It's going to be way cool. Amen. For example, we'll attempt to answer this question that I pose with this slide. When we get our new bodies... Will we be able to do things like this? Amen. For those of you that listen by podcast, I have a slide of Ken O'Reeves in the Matrix holding up his hand and stopping a hail of bullets. Amen. That's even cooler than Superman. Superman just had him bounce off his chest. He's like, "Uh, that's far enough. And they fall to the ground. Probably one of the coolest, most iconic scenes in any movie ever. Amen. Hallelujah. My daughter says, besides the one where he bends over backwards and dodges bullets. Now, I actually considered using that slide as well, but chose this one instead. Hallelujah. So let's begin with some scripture. It's okay to use scripture in church, isn't it? Amen. We do read our Bible from time to time, so I think we should open it up in church from time to time. Let's read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 in the King James Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Now, this passage makes it clear that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are now able to be born again, to become like Jesus on the inside. It says we've been born again to a living hope. 
Amen. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he was raised from the dead. We can be raised from the dead. Because he was raised from the dead. We can start that process by being born again on the inside. Amen. Glory to God. But that's not the end of it. There will come a day when we will become like him on the outside as well. Amen. And our salvation, the Bible says, will be complete. Just like he, Jesus, received a resurrected body, we too will receive a resurrected body. And we have an inheritance, the Bible says, that's reserved in heaven for us. And part of that inheritance is an incorruptible, immortal, brand new body. Amen. Let me take just a few minutes to talk about incorruptible. Incorruptible means not subject to decay or damage in any way. Immortal means cannot die. So you're going to have an immortal body that cannot be damaged or, or corroded in any way. One scripture says, whose flower fadeth not away. We're going to be like a beautiful flower that never loses its glory. You look the same age every day that you live in your new body throughout eternity. You'll look just as fresh the next day as you did before, a thousand years later as you did before, two thousand years later as you did before, and on and on and on. You're going to get up, and the Bible says you're going to be fresh as a daisy. Because you can't die and you can't be corrupted and you can't be destroyed. Can you imagine the fun you can have like jumping off of waterfalls and stuff like that? You're not going to get hurt. I, th I still think it's going to be a rush. But, you know, maybe there'll be a part of you that says, well, maybe I will smash myself to pieces on the rocks, you know. <laughs> and then you hit, hit the water and you're like, oh, no, I'm cool, you know. You know, I think about things like that. Is anybody else out there besides me think about things like that? Amen. Glory to God. It's going to be so much fun. I think we take the fun out of the gospel. You're not going to have an incorruptible, undefiled, immortal body that lasts forever, that never fades away, and be boring for all of eternity. You're going to have a rich and rewarding full life, and I believe it'll be full of adventure and full of fun. Glory to God. All right. So we've heard what the Apostle Peter had to say about our new bodies. Let's hear what the Apostle Paul had to say. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 in the King James Version. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now, there's a lot of shouting material in this verse. Amen. The first thing you can shout about is the moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment you got born again, the Bible says you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Some translations say you were marked. You were designated. Even one translation said you were stamped. What did the stamp say? Do a new body at the appointed time. Amen. 
You were sealed, you were marked, you were stamped because you were designated and you were destined to have a body just like Jesus at the appointed time. Amen. I think that is something to shout about. Glory to God. I think about it all the time. And I promise you, younger people, when you get a little older, you'll start thinking about it more often, too. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It says that this seal or this mark is the earnest of our inheritance. That word earnest, it it means a pledge or a down payment. Money that was given until you redeemed the purchased possession. Okay. So let me read it again. Which is the earnest, the pledge or down payment of our inheritance, talking about our new body, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. In other words, the price has already been paid for your new body. It's already paid for. You know, and the Bible says in the verses we read before in Peter that it's reserved for you in heaven. So when I say jokingly, that you got a new body in the showroom of heaven, there is truth to that statement. There is a blueprint, I believe, of your new body that is stored and reserved in heaven, and one day it'll be reunited with whatever's left of you if you're dead or with you if you're alive. And it will change your current body, which is in seed form, into something that you've never quite experienced before. It'll be a body that'll look like you, but it's going to be so completely different. It's the same as the difference between a mustard seed and the mustard tree after it's grown. There'll be no resemblance. You go, wow, this was a seed, and look what it turned into. Your body is a seed, and one day it's going to turn into something that looks just like Jesus, immortal, incorruptible, undefiled full of strength and vigor. You know, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we are going to be like superheroes. We're going to be able to do things that normal human beings cannot do. So it's no surprise to me that there is a worldwide fascination with superheroes. And there has been for almost 100 years. Superman is almost 100 years old. He was created in the 30s, you know. There is a yearning in the heart of man for a superman that will stand for righteousness, truth, and justice. Now, Jesus was our first superman, our first superhuman. When he was raised from the dead, even he was different from what he was before. And we're going to be just like that, and we're going to rule and reign with him with superhuman capabilities over a human race of people. I don't have time to go into that today because that's for session two or three. Amen. But I get so excited when I talk about this, I have to go there. Amen. The millennial reign of Christ is going to be totally cool and you're going to have an assignment and your assignment is going to be based on how faithful you were to walk in the gifts and callings of God in this life. So if you want a good assignment then, Do what he told you to do now. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo. But before we go too much further down this road, we need to talk about the rapture of the church to put all of this in its proper context. 
Amen. So let's talk about the rapture for a few minutes. We're going to read from first and second Thessalonians, but since we don't have time to read both letters entirely, I need to give you a little background of the book. According to a lot of Bible teachers that I admire, these letters were written to the church at Thessalonica, which is modern day Greece, because they believed that the day of Christ or the day of the Lord, which is an end times concept, had already come. And they must have had some teaching on the topic because they equated the day of Christ with the bodily resurrection of the believers, the catching away of the church and the pouring out of wrath during the time of the Antichrist during the seven year tribulation. They were aware of these concepts. At any rate, Paul in these letters endeavors to set them straight on their end time beliefs because they were a little bit confused and they had some questions. All right. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse nine and ten in the King James Version. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, verse nine basically says. Their manner of entering basically said, this is how well they treated us. They treated us well when when they received us. And we learned how that they had turned from serving idols to serving God and now waiting for his son Jesus to come. Okay. But then he goes on to say concerning Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, I believe there's a reason that this statement is in there at the very beginning of the first letter of Thessalonians. I think he's trying to dispel the myth or the belief that they had that they were somehow already in that tribulation period and wrath was being poured out because they were under great persecution. This was just right before the emperor Nero took over. So it was getting bad. And then later on, when Nero took over, the persecution of the church got even worse. So they're being persecuted and they're thinking maybe this is the end times. And this is the wrath spoken of concerning the end times. And Paul straightens them out. Amen. Paul sets the tone right off the bat by letting them know as bad as it was, this was not the wrath of the time of the Antichrist. That was for a later time, and the church would be delivered from that wrath. Amen? It is reiterated at the end of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 when Paul again says that the church has not been appointed to wrath. Amen? Let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 and 10 in the King James Version. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Amen. Can it get any more plain than that? For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. In other words, hey guys, I told you at the beginning of this letter, and I'm telling you at the end of this letter, this is not the wrath of the end times. This is not the time of the Antichrist. Because we have been delivered from that wrath to come. Amen. Glory to God. All right. 
So if you haven't noticed it already, these scriptures are pretty strong arguments for a pre-tribulation rapture chronology. I'm a pre-trib rapture kind of guy. I just believe the scriptures spell it out very plainly. And hopefully as we go through these scriptures here in Thessalonians, it'll be as plain to you as it is to me. Amen. There are people out there that I believe they desire for the church to go through the tribulation because we need to be purified. And we need to suffer so that we can become more like Jesus. Let me tell you, if suffering and persecution perfected the saints, there'd be a lot of perfect saints right now because there's a lot of persecution and suffering going on in this world right now. Now, don't get me wrong. You can learn through persecution and suffering, tribulation, and it will help you lean more on God. But I'm telling you, God didn't send it to mold you and make you. The scripture says everything you need to become the man or woman God called you to be can be learned from the scriptures. Amen. By the word of God and by the Holy Spirit's influence teaching you what the scripture has to say, you can become fully equipped to be who you are called to be. You don't have to suffer to become more like Jesus. Although suffering comes, it's not by design, not by God. However, God will not waste an opportunity to allow you to learn something through a time of suffering and tribulation. It doesn't mean he's the author of it. Everybody clear on that? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Need to cage my gyros. As I said, these scriptures are strong arguments in favor of a pre-tribulation rapture chronology. In other words, I'll say it again. Brother Scott believes that the church will not go through the tribulation period. The rapture comes first, then the Antichrist is revealed, and the wrath of God and the wrath of man is poured out during the seven-year tribulation. Amen. Now, this is probably a good time for us to take a look at the end times timeline that we used in the alien invasion series, just so we can remember the big picture of how it all unfolds. So let me put that up there, and let's talk about that. On the far left side, you'll see the first coming of Christ. And then the timeline says church age. The next big thing on the end times timeline is the rapture of the church. Amen. The rapture of the church is the next big thing depicted up there. But before the rapture of the church, I am convinced, don't have time to teach on this, but there will be a great worldwide revival the former and the latter reign together, a great harvest of souls so that as many people go up in the rapture as possible. I believe that with all of my heart. I do. In fact, I believe it so much that I believe one of the leading end time signs is worldwide revival. When you see the world catching on fire with revival, you'll know the coming of the Lord is near. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so then after the rapture, after the church is taken out of here, there'll be seven years of tribulation. Antichrist will be revealed. He'll make a covenant with the nation of Israel. Three and a half years into that seven-year period, he will break that covenant as prophesied by Daniel, and he will get into the temple of God, which has not been built yet. He'll stand in the temple of God and declare himself to be God, and 
required the Israelis and all of the world to worship him as God. That's when literally all hell breaks loose. That last three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation. And Jesus said, if those days weren't shortened, there wouldn't be a man or woman left alive. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen. All right, so then after the Great Tribulation is the second coming of Christ and then the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ where we will rule and reign with Him in superhuman bodies doing things the normal population won't be able to do. Not to show off, but to help them, to mentor them, to be more like Jesus. Amen? Glory to God. All right. When we talk about the day of Christ or the day of the Lord, from my study of the scriptures, I believe that is a collective term that refers to the rapture, the tribulation and the second coming. That is all referred to as the day of Christ or the day of the Lord. If you try to affix it to either one of those individually, it doesn't work. Okay, the day of the Lord is talking about the last 70th week of Daniel. That will be the seven years of the tribulation. Amen. That whole period there is called the day of the Lord. Anybody confused yet? Don't raise your hands. You'll discourage me. Just hang with me. Amen? All right. So if we back up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll find the clearest teaching on the rapture that you can find in any place in the New Testament. In fact, it's so clear that it's a mystery to me that there are people out there, Christians, who do not believe in the rapture. I'm like, when I read this, I'm like, what do they do when they get to this part? Do they just highlight it with their black magic marker so they don't have to see it the next time they come by? You know, what do they do? How do you get around this? Well, it's allegorical. Uh, It's symbolic. Uh, I don't know. I believe interpreting things symbolically when the context calls for it, But when it's literal, I believe the context will show that it's literal. Okay. In this case, it's literal. So let's read it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 in the King James Version. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Amen. Let me stop right there. Some of the Thessalonians were under the impression that those that had died in Christ would somehow be left out of this resurrection moment. And Paul was quick to point out their mistake and to reassure them. When he refers to people that are asleep, he's talking about those that are asleep in Jesus, those that have passed on as believers in Christ He's reassuring them, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. In other words, those people that are dead in Christ, only their bodies are in the graves. Their spirit and souls are with Jesus. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be asleep in Jesus is to be present with Jesus. Amen. Their bodies in their grave but their spirit is in heaven with Jesus. And he's saying, don't be concerned about them because when Jesus comes back, he's bringing them with him because they're with him. 
Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. In other words, he's basically saying they're going first. Concerning the resurrection, they're going to go first. Let me keep reading. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Amen. He's saying, listen, you're really wrong to worry about them, first of all, because they are with Jesus right now. And when he comes back, they're coming back with him. And they're going to get their bodies raised before you do. So don't worry about them. They're getting the better deal. They're going to be resurrected before you are. Glory to God. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, before I get back to the dead in Christ, this paints a picture for me that is just beautiful and loud. You know, can you imagine? He says he's going to descend from heaven with a shout. Jesus is going to shout. What is he going to shout? I don't know. I'm coming. Get ready. I mean, I don't know, but it's going to be so loud that the whole world is going to be able to hear the shout and the trump of God. Now, this is those that can hear the voice of the Lord are going to hear this. The regular world's not going to hear this, but we're going to hear it. Maybe he'll say, Come up hither. Come be with me. Hallelujah. And there's going to be a trumpet. And it's going to be loud. So there's going to be a shout. And then there's going to be this. And then all of a sudden you're going to look at your wife and you're going to go. Here we go. Hold hands. And then boom, you're going to be gone. It's cool to think about it, is it not? Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. I love that. Basically, he's making the point and he's driving it home. You don't need to worry about those that are dead in Christ. They're going to rise first. Then the rest of us are going to catch up with them, and we're all going to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. It's going to be a glorious time. Can you imagine as you fly through the air up towards Jesus? Hey, there's Aunt Mary. I haven't seen her since she died 20 years ago. Hey, Mary. Hey, Bill. There's my Uncle Bill over there, you know, flying through the air. I don't know if it's going to happen like that, but it's going to be a great reunion. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm getting myself happy. I don't know if I'm getting you happy. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That word caught up is the word harpazo in the Greek. It means a snatching away, a catching away. It is the exact same Greek word used in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, when Philip, when he baptized the eunuch, And he came up out of the water, and the Bible says he was harpazoed out of there. Better to be harpazoed than to be torpedoed, amen? Don't you think? 
It's a fun word to say. That's why I joke about it. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me go back to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was translated, caught away by the Spirit, and moved as far as 40 miles away to another place entirely called Azotus. Cool. But now we're talking about being caught away and meeting the Lord in the air and taking a trip through the universe to planet heaven, which is another deal altogether. I can imagine when Philip gets raised from the dead, He's going to remember that he got harpazo just like that. He's going to be reunited with his dead body. And he say, hey, I remember what this feels like. Shazam! I'm in heaven. All right, glory to God. Y'all are not as amused about it as I am. <laughs> so pressing on to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we find out that the church has to be removed before Antichrist can be revealed to the world. That's the way I teach it. That's the way I believe it, because the church has authority over the demonic kingdom. There's only so much they can do right now because of our authority. We hinder them right now. But one day, the Bible says there's coming a day when the hindrance will be removed and the body of Christ will be out of here. Amen. Glory to God. Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse one through eight. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Again, Paul is still talking, even in this second letter to the Thessalonians, he's still talking about end times. He's still talking about the rapture and our gathering up to him. Okay, so he is still in the mode of correcting their misconceptions about end times chronology and the way things are going to flesh out. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Amen. We talked about that before, how that Daniel calls it the, uh, the abomination of desolation where Antichrist comes in in the midpoint of that seven-year period and declares himself to be God and desecrates the temple. That's what's being talked about there. But listen, I have to point some things out to you. He's saying, don't be shaken. Don't be troubled when people tell you that this is the day of the Lord. This is not the day of the Lord, because that day, verse three says, shall not come except there come a falling away first. Now, it is predominantly taught by the body of Christ that that falling away, that the Greek word there is apostasia, means falling away. Most preach this, that there be a great falling away from the faith. That Christians would desert the faith, that people would fall away from the faith. And when they had this great falling away, unlike any falling away in the history of the world, then Antichrist will be revealed. Now, I believe there is some truth to that, because as the righteous get more righteous and the light shines more brightly, so shall the darkness be even darker. 
we're in the day now where there's a clear distinction between light and dark, and it's only going to get clear as the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Okay, so I believe that there will be a great falling away, that people will turn away from God, from seeking God. Okay, but I believe that this is one of those scripture passages that has a dual fulfillment. I believe there will be a great falling away of people from seeking after God. But another translation of the word apostasia is a great departure. A great departure. And I believe that it refers to a falling away of the people who do not want to serve God, who turn their back on God, and the departure of those who have decided that they will follow God. So I do not believe the Antichrist can be revealed until we are taken out of here, until the body of Christ is removed, until there's a great departure of the body of Christ from this world, Antichrist will not be free to be revealed. Everybody follow me, what I'm trying to say there? Now, and I I read some commentaries last night that say that that's a heretical viewpoint. Well, you can call me a heretic if you want. But that's what I believe. Personally, let me just get on my soapbox about the word heresy. Let's reserve the word heresy for people who do not believe in the virgin birth, the divinity of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, or the efficacy of the blood of Jesus to cover all sin. Let's use the H word for those people. If we're going to agree to disagree on certain items of end times and certain topics let's do exactly that let's just agree to disagree and quit throwing the h-bomb at each other amen i got a friend and, and he believes some things on end times that i totally disagree with but he's born again spirit filled and we just agree to disagree and i do not throw the h-bomb at him because he could be right and i could be wrong amen we'll have a nice argument about it as we're going up in the air, especially the Christians who don't believe in the rapture. <laughs> what do you say now, pal? You know. And they're not going to be mad. They're going to like, I'm so glad I was wrong. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well. Whew. All right. Verse five. We're going to get through this. Four more verses. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. In other words, he's saying it's a mild rebuke. I've already taught you these things. Why are you getting so stirred up? Don't you remember? I laid it all out for you. You should know better than to be in fear about these things. Verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. In other words, he's saying, you know, because I told you what's going to withhold the Antichrist from being revealed. You know, you already know. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That word letteth is King James for hinder. So you read it like this. Only he who now hinders will continue to hinder until he be taken out of the way. And that hindering force is the body of Christ. We have all authority 
Jesus said, I give unto you all authority over all the power of the enemy. He left nothing out. That's Luke chapter 17. All authority over all the power of the enemy. The devil himself can come to you and you can put him down in Jesus' name. He has to obey. He is no threat to you. All he can do is blah, 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 blah. That's all he can do. Send him packing in the name of Jesus. Notice, if you read through the book of Revelation, the Antichrist prevails against the saints. And there are some people that are confused about that. He prevails against the saints, but he does not prevail against the church because, first of all, they're not there. And second of all, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Even more evidence that we will not be there because if we were there, I like what Brother Hagin used to say, if I was here during the tribulation, the Antichrist couldn't do nothing. I'd be binding him at every turn in Jesus' name. I love that attitude. He realized how much power and authority he had. He realized why the church has to be removed so the Antichrist can do his thing. The saints that are going to get saved during the tribulation period, and there will be many of them, aren't going to be mature enough, aren't going to be taught well enough to operate in that kind of authority. And they're going to get steamrolled. Okay? That's why it's better to say yes to Jesus on this side of the tribulation. Amen? I don't want to be stuck watching some video or reading some book you know what's that book the one where you got left behind uh, that would be awful you know, you, you know yeah what's that book <laughs> what's your favorite color <laughs> blue or green no it's a monty python reference what is your favorite color uh blue uh green I, uh. okay where was i what was I talking about? It's better to be on, timeline-wise, the left side of the tribulation than in the middle of the tribulation. Amen. Praise the Lord. Enough said. Enough said. All right, a couple more verses. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth or hinders will hinder until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. Basically, what that's saying is, at the end of that tribulation period, after he's had his seven years, the Lord will destroy him at his coming. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Whoo. He's the first one, I'm pretty sure, if I remember my end times, he's the first one to visit the lake of fire. Antichrist. What an honor. You're going first, you troublemaker. Woo. Hallelujah. All right. That's probably a good place to stop. We'll pick it up where we left off next week. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's teaching on the rapture and your new body. Come visit our website at GoFaithLife.com, where you can learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes. Also, visit and like our Facebook page, at Faith Life Wilmington.